Today's message is entitled, An Offering of Love. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, is Dr. Hunter's scripture text for this message. From the New American Standard Version, it reads as follows. And while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over three hundred denarii, and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. And now, let's join Dr. Hunter for his message, An Offering of Love. Turn, if you will, to Mark 14. In the next 15 minutes, I'll give my once-every-three-year stewardship sermon. Only I'm not going to give it in the regular way. Normally, when you preach a stewardship sermon, you preach either on tithing. Uh, that That's such an obvious thing to me. I, you know, it says it in a word. You know, it says it, read it in Malachi. I remember when I first got saved, I was so enthusiastic for the Lord. This is back in college. And I was going to a church, and, and uh, some old guy came up to me after service one time and he said, uh, son, do you love the Lord? I said, man, I've given my entire life to God. I mean, I've given it lock, stock, and barrel. He looked at me and said, really, do you tithe? And I said, I had my speech already. I said, look, mister. I said, I worked three jobs during the summer just to get enough money to come here. I worked two jobs all year long. I'm just a college student. I worked two jobs all year long just to get enough to get through this place I know how to tithe. I'll tithe someday. I can't do it right now. He looked at me. And without a note of condemnation, there was such grace in his voice. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Son, what makes you think you've given your entire life to the Lord if you can't even give 10% of the money he's given you back to him? And I went, Ugh! So I've just done that ever since. It's an obvious thing. I'm not, I'm not going to preach on tithing this morning. I'm not even going to preach on the attitude. That's the second thing that most people preach about, the attitude with which you give, the, give to the Lord. Because when you preach on the amount or the attitude, what happens is that your vision on what stewardship is starts to narrow to things of finance or to things of heart. And what God really wants us to see in stewardship is the bigger vision, the why. Read with me this passage that if we were reading it in John, this is recording in all four of the Gospels, recorded in all four of the Gospels. If we were reading this in John 12, uh, there are some names put here which I will supply along the way. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, 
There came a woman. Now in John, it identifies this woman as Mary. The same Mary who sat at his feet so many times listening to him talk. The same Mary who was enamored just with being around Jesus. And there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, and nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Now in John, it says the fragrance filled the room. Do you remember when Noah got done with his journey, how he sacrificed? And it says that the aroma of that sacrifice went up to, the, went up to God and how he was pleased with that smell. And in response to that, he made a covenant with his people. Well, this is the same kind of aroma that symbolizes a spirit of adoration and thanksgiving. It is so good to give just because you love, just because you want to show how much. That's the third, the fourth attitude. There was just that, just gratitude. You know, do you remember the first? Gift that you couldn't wait to give your girlfriend because you were crazy nuts about her. I remember giving a present when I was very young to my first girlfriend, Linda Chu. And it was Christmas time. And you know, little boys, I was just in, in uh, like fifth or sixth grade. Little boys don't think ahead at Christmas time. And, and here's two days before Christmas and you want to give her a present real bad. And you, you don't have any money. I had about two bucks to my name, a buck and a half to my name. And, and I hadn't bought anything from my mom yet. And usually what I got my mom was that costume, you know, diamond-like jewelry, you know, brooches, you know. Every year. I mean, she had a string of 15 brooches, you know, stars or donkeys or, you know. But they all looked like diamonds and they only cost a buck at Ben Franklin. And so that was always a good present for mom. Well, I didn't have anything left. And so you go through and you rifle through all your mom's stuff hoping you can find something to give your girlfriend, you know. You know, is there, you know, maybe I can give her one of these brooches. I mean, mom's got enough of them. She'd never miss one. Or, or uh, you know, perfume, but it's, you know, like a quarter gone. And you think to yourself, well, i got to add water and it looked like it was full. <clears throat> but I haven't got a box, you know. And I can remember work. I just ran into mom and said, mom, give me something. To do. i got to earn some money here. And she said, why? And I said, well, I just want to get a present for somebody. Well, she knew what was up. So she gave me, you know, a job and I earned a couple of bucks and, Went back down to the 5 and 10 store and bought a stuffed animal. Boys never know what to get girls, so they always get them stuffed animals. You know, it's always a good little bunny thing. And I can remember riding with my dad out there, you know, just so excited. I didn't have my winter coat on because my winter coat was all ratty. And it wasn't good anyhow because, you know, everybody in, in, in our day hand, had got hand-me-downs. But the lucky ones had older brothers. I had an older sister, so I got her coats. You know, wasn't a good, wasn't a good deal. So I, you know, my dad looked at us, why aren't you wearing a coat? Well, I'm not cold. You know, well, my dad knew what was going on. I can remember going up to the door and knocking, saying, please, God, don't let her come to the door. You know, I don't want to see her. I'm embarrassed. And, but So, you know, her older sister came to the door. And I can remember the thrill of just saying, give this to Linda. Do you want to see her? No, 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 no. Just give this to her. This is from Hunter. I just loved giving her a present because she filled up my world at that time. Mary just loved doing this for Jesus because Jesus filled up her world. But there was something deeper going on than just adoration. The Bible says, But some were indignant, remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted. Now, you know what? When you try to do 
something good and solid for the Lord, there will always be reasons come in your mind why you shouldn't be so extravagant or so dedicated. As a matter of fact, they won't always be bad reasons. Many times, they'll be good reasons why you shouldn't do that. Because there are more practical things to do with that money. It says, For this perfume might have been sold for under three, over 300 denarii. That's almost a, a year's wages for a common laborer. <clears throat> 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. Now, remember this, that if you stay in front of Jesus long enough, those who are accusing you will finally be dissipated. That's exactly what happens here. Remember the woman who was caught in, caught in adultery and how she came to Jesus? And Jesus said, okay, you're going to play the blame game? Let's let this go around. He said... <clears throat> Let's just start, whoever is without sin. Okay, you guys start. And if people realized on the spot, if we ever get into this blame game thing, I'm sunk. None of us can afford to get into the blame game. None of us. They realized that. And when the woman looked up, what happened? Because she stayed long enough in front of Jesus, all of her accusers had gone. Remember that when you're feeling an accusation. Stand in front of the Lord long enough and the accusations will dissipate. Anyhow, Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good thing to me. In other, other versions, it's a beautiful thing. Not just a practical thing, but a beautiful thing. Remember that word. For the poor... You always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do them good. In other words, he's saying, I'm not saying don't give to the poor. Give to them whenever you want to do it. There's a little bitty wink in there. As if they hadn't been given to them lately. You can do that anytime you want to. Go ahead. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. What a wonderful accolade to give somebody. They did what they could. They didn't... They didn't do what they dreamed of. They did what they could. Most people never do what they can because they're busy dreaming of what they could do. She did what she could. And she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which is spoken of this woman, uh, which this woman has done, shall be spoken in memory of her. Let me tell you two things that are very important in giving. One is that you do pay attention to the details of giving your life. That's important. That's important. I hear people all the time saying, we've got to be mindful that Christianity is practical. And it's true. You know, you can't, you can't get through this and get what you need and not take the steps you need to take. There are people who come to this church and say, oh, you know, I don't feel any fellowship in this church. Well, are you a part of the home groups? Are you part of a home group? No. Well, you know what? To have a fellowship, you've got to get into fellowship. It's just a practical step. But to sit outside and gripe about this being a cold church where you're not a part of a smaller group doesn't make any sense. In order to do that, you've got to take a practical step. You can say, I believed in Jesus for a long time, and I've never felt his power in my life. 
Are you still in sin? You still practicing sin? Well, yeah. Do you wonder why you don't feel his power? Come on. You got to do what's practical. Everybody knows that. But listen to this. If you only pay attention to what is obviously practical, that becomes a prison to seeing the larger picture of what God's doing. Let me tell you what was happening there that day. This same Mary who sat in front of Jesus, who listened to Jesus talk about the building of his kingdom time after time, was giving her entire life to him for that vision. She wasn't just doing what was practical. She was doing what was impractical. He was about to die. And she was giving her whole life to him, even though in practical terms, there didn't look like there was any power there. Now, let me say two things real fast. First of all, I see people getting sunk every day because they become mired in life's practicalities, and that's all they see. Do you know why a pro-life person can shoot a doctor in the back? Because he has become so logical in his thinking and so focused and so narrow in his thinking that what started out to be a very good cause ends up being a murderous cause. He thinks in his mind, okay, if this is true, if, if, if these are babies, then they're being killed. And if they're being killed, they're being killed by this guy. And if this guy's a killer, then he deserves to die. Bang. And he ends up doing just the opposite of what Jesus would do for Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus shooting somebody in the back? Of course not. There's nothing of the Spirit of Christ in that. But what happened was he became mired in the details and the practicalities of his thinking. And he pushed himself into a corner. It happens all the time in fundamentalist thought. You come off with just the opposite of the attitude you want to have. I've watched Randall Terry. I'm sure he started out with the best of intentions. But I saw an interview with him last week. And the guy talked so angry and so obnoxious. And he was saying, you know, we're going to get in their face. We're going to make them miserable. We're going to do this. We're going to... I'm thinking, where's Jesus in this? Where's the Spirit of Christ? There is someone who has become caught up, so caught up in the practical details of what he wanted to accomplish. He missed the entire point. I, I, I read these how-to books. They're so popular these days. Somebody gave me a couple of how to, how to get the love you want. Oh, man. This book, whereas it was clinically correct in some spots, missed the entire point. It says, you know, you know why you love. It's because you're trying to make up for all the childhood hurts you've had. And so that's why you choose the mate you do, because that person seems to be the summation for all the wounds you've had as a child. Now, isn't that a pretty picture? Isn't that romantic? Can't you see me going out with my wife and whining her and dining her? You know, going to a movie and afterwards looking deeply into her eyes and saying, you know, I want to thank you for being the accumulation of all of my childhood wounds. I want to thank you for being the image that I have to answer the appetites of my id. You know? Man, husbands, I tell you what, you do that, and you have just wasted the price of a movie and Super Bar at, at Wendy's, you know? No nuggies for you tonight, you've blown it. 
See? You become so clinical, you miss the point. You miss the point. The point is the vision, the romance of what you could be together. You know what Jesus did for people when they started worrying about how they were going to get along in the day-to-day details? Took them outside in the field. He said, look at the flowers. They said, what? Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. They don't toil. They don't spin. God takes care of them. I see so many of you losing the vision that you had because you're so mired in the details of life. You've lost the larger picture. I see so many of you husbands and wives just trying to get through from day to day. You never dream dreams together anymore. You never say, you know, when we're old, we're going to rock and hold hands and you're going to be funny and I'm going to be funny. (laughs) And we're going to forget all kinds of stuff together. (laughs) But our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren are going to look at us and they're going to say, that's the kind of marriage I want to have. You're losing the dreams. The stewardship of life is not about details. The stewardship of life is building a vision and not knowing how you're doing it. When Christ talked about the kingdom of God, it looked like it was impossible to build. And nobody knew how to do it. He kept talking in parables. kept talking in stories. Matthew said he wouldn't speak to him without a parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It grows into the greatest of all trees. The kingdom of God is like leaven, hidden in three peck measures of meal. What does that mean? I don't know. I only know if I keep giving all of what I have to Christ, He builds His kingdom. Stewardship is about God building what He wants to in the world. Not about me getting what I need out of Him. Stewardship is not utilitarian religion. It's not one of these things, if it doesn't help you, then you shouldn't have it. Stewardship is about what is true. It's about seeking first his kingdom. That's what Mary was doing that day. She said, Lord, I don't know how all this is going to work out. I have no idea how you're going to be victorious. There are people who want to hang you. You're going to be crucified. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm giving everything I am and everything I have to you. And I'm leaving it up to you to build your kingdom. And that's exactly what he did. When we look at the world today, and we see how it's developing, and we see the chance of the Spirit of Christ winning in this world, we have got to say, God, I have no idea how you're going to do it. It doesn't seem practical. It seems like us Christians ought to band together and, and put our people in office. Or it seems like us Christians ought to march more. We ought to be more of a force. We ought to do this. We ought to do that. I don't know. I'll just keep giving myself to you and hope somehow you can pull it off. That's the big picture, the stewardship picture God wants you to have. You've heard the story, I'm sure about the man who goes along the street and there are three bricklayers who are building a huge church. And he looks at the first one and he says, what are you doing? The bricklayer looks up and says, I'm making $10 an hour. 
And I can't wait for the weekend. He goes to the second one. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm laying these bricks as good as I can. In a straight wall. I'm a craftsman. And what I build will stay and be beautiful for years. And he goes to the third one. He says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building the house of God. So that for generations to come, people will come and learn of the love of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing? Pray with me. God, help us in our giving not to lose the larger picture. We are not here to build buildings. We are not here to do good works. We are here to give to you and by your Spirit to build a kingdom of which we do not know. We only know that for years to come, the kind of lives we live we want to matter to others. We only know that when we live, we want people to look at you. So help us, not only with our money, not only with our talents, but with our hearts to depend on you to build that kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.